This nation was born July 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia. But I'm saying to you this morning that if our nation is going to survive, it must be born again. Amen. This nation needs to be born again. And I'm concerned that if, if we are not careful, that one day a historian will write about the rise and fall of the American empire. See, when I look at the nation of Israel, I see that God planted, He divinely planted the nation of Israel. He protected the nation of Israel. He prospered the nation of Israel. But then the nation of Israel forgot God. And because they forgot God, then came judgment and the nation entered into a time of calamity. This morning I was going to begin a series with you today that I'm just calling Freedom. Freedom Series. And we were going to go to Psalm chapter 80 today. Because in Psalm chapter 80, it's a psalm that's written by a man by the name of Asaph. It's not a Davidic psalm. It's a psalm written by Asaph. He wrote Psalm 77, 78, 79, and 80. And he wrote this psalm during a time of national calamity. Most people believe that he wrote it as a result of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar going into Judah and taking its people captive and destroying the city of Jerusalem. It was at that time that some young men like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were taken captive. And so in their captivity, during a time of national calamity, Asaph calls out to God, which is what you and I need to do right now for our nation because we are fastly losing our freedoms in this country and this nation is becoming, listen to me, whether you want to believe it or not, it's fast becoming a post-Christian nation. And it's up to the church to pray to God. Because according to my Bible in Psalm chapter 20 verse 7, it says that we do not trust in horses and chariots to win our battles for us. But our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. And this Bible tells us blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so Asaph, in a time of calamity, he cries out to God and here's what he says. He said, hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Of course, we know he's speaking about the Lord here. He said, shine forth, and that's what we need. We need God to shine forth. He said, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might, because it seemed that God was doing nothing. It seemed that God's power was dormant. And so he says, Lord, awaken your might. Come and save us. And then in verse 3, and he will say this three different times in this passage. He said, restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And that's the prayer we need to be praying over our nation. Because we, like the nation of Israel, as we'll find out here in a moment, God planted this nation. 
God's protected this nation. God has prospered this nation. But America, for the most part, has forgotten God. And we are in a time of national calamity. And we need to be praying, God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Then he talks about their spiritual condition in verse 4. I'll do this as quickly as I can. He said, How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Now I want you to notice, God is not angry here because His people are not praying. God is angry in this passage because His people are praying. And He's angry because of the condition of their hearts when they pray. Because you see, when our hearts are full of wickedness, when we have unrepentant hearts and we have no intention whatsoever of repenting from our wicked ways, then when we pray, it just gets God mad. It just gets God angry. That's why when we pray, we have to pray with repentant hearts. We have to pray with hearts that desire God to truly intervene and do something about our situation and he said how long Lord God Almighty will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people he talks about their spiritual sterility and then he says to them he said you have made us an object of derision of ridicule to our neighbors now I know that this psalm is not about America I know it's about Israel but I think we see a lot of parallels I think we see a lot of principles that also apply to our nation today Because he said this, he said, You have made us an object of derision, of ridicule to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. If you travel this world, you'll find out people don't perceive America the way they used to perceive America. People laugh at us. Jamie and I were in the Mediterranean just over a year ago. And we were sitting at the table with some folks from England. And literally... As we sat at the table, they were joking and laughing at our nation because of the spectacle that we had made of our presidential election. We have been made a derision, ridicule. People ridicule, people mock us. Here's what they refer to us as around the world. The great Satan. That's how they refer to this nation. So he talks about that spiritual sterility and he talks about the condition that our nation is in. And so he says in verse 7 again, Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved because he understands that God is our only hope. And it's God and God alone that can save us. And then in verse 8, notice what he says about the nation of Israel and I believe also about this nation that we live in. He said, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. The vine that he's speaking of here is Israel. And he's talking about when God took Israel out of Egyptian bondage and transplanted them into the promised land. And notice he said, you drove the nations out and you planted it. They were a divinely planted nation in Canaan. And I believe that God planted this nation. I really do. I believe that when our forefathers came here to this country, they came on the basis of religious freedom. They were fighting and they were believing for freedom to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
As a matter of fact, that ship that they came to our nation on, the Mayflower, they gathered together in prayer down in the bow of that boat and they formed a document that we now know as our Mayflower Compact. And here's what that compact says. It began like this. In the name of God. Amen. And then it goes on and says, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancements of the Christian faith. They tell us what their mission was in coming to this nation. is to advance the Christian faith. Notice, even Roger Babson, who was an economist, an entrepreneur in the early 20s, the one who predicted the crash of the stock market that led to the depression. He was talking to the South American president, and they were trying to discern about why is America prospered and South America, even though they have the same amount of resources, if not more than we do here in North America, why has America prospered and South America failed to prosper? And that president looked at him and said, I'll tell you what the difference is. And here's what he said. He said that Americans, when they came to your coast, he said they came seeking God, but when we came to South America, we came seeking gold. Our declaration of independence. Those 50 men, 55 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, out of those 55 men, 30 of them were bold Christians. 20 of them were believing Christians. And here's what they wrote at the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. We hope these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Notice they made it clear they did not believe in evolution. They believed in one who created mankind. That God was our creator. One gentleman showed up at Continental Congress one day and wanted them to point out to him, said, who, which one of these men here at Continental Congress, which one is George Washington? One of the congressmen looked at him and said this to him. He said, George Washington is the tall red-headed man who will get on his knees when Congress stops to pray. That tells me we had a president who prayed and we had a Congress who prayed. Abraham Lincoln in his inaugural speech said, I leave now not knowing when or whether ever I shall return with a task before me greater than that that rested upon the shoulders of Washington. And he said, without the assistance of the divine being who attended him, I cannot succeed with that, or without that assistance, but with it I cannot fail. These are our forefathers. Thomas Jefferson made this statement in his inaugural speech. He said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. You go back and look at our national anthem, the third stanza of our national anthem. And I always feel sorry for the third and fourth verse of songs because they rarely get sung. But in our national anthem, notice what it says. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. This shows us early on the heart of our nation. 
our national hymn by Samuel Francis Smith. The, the, one of the verses in there says, Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God and King. You look at the early documents. You look at the early songs that were written. And it tells us their mission. It tells us what this country was based on and founded on. And it was one nation under God. And in God we trust. Amen. Notice not only were they planted by God, they were protected by God. He's, he, he goes on in this psalm and he said, you cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. God went before them and God drove out their enemies. He protected them and then he prospered them because the scripture says that the mountains were covered with its shade. Talking about the nation of Israel, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. And I think you would agree with me this morning that God has blessed America from sea to shining sea. He has prospered us. He has protected us. He has planted us. But unfortunately, America, for the most part, has done exactly what Israel did. They have forgotten God. And so here's what happens when a nation forgets God. Asaph said, why have you broken down its walls? so that all who pass by pick its grapes. You see, because of our wickedness, because of our corruptness, because of our lack of morality, the hedge that once protected us, the wall, has come down. And notice what the passage says, so that our enemies are able to come and pick its grapes. He's speaking here of our external enemies that are able to come and pluck the fruit of our nation. But not only that, he goes on and he says, boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. In other words, we don't just have an external enemy, we have an internal enemy. And as the old saying says, we are our own worst enemy in America. Our own worst enemy. We have more policemen in this nation per capita than any other nation on the earth. And the reason why is because crime rate is higher per capita in this nation than any other nation of the world. We now, and we don't take pride in this, but we now lead the world in abortions. We now lead the world in the manufacturing and distribution of pornography. And we are fastly becoming the leader of the world in human trafficking. Do you think that God can bless a nation that he planted, that he's protected, that he's prospered, and this nation forget him and not expect us to be open prey to our enemies? There are external enemies, there are internal enemies, but can I tell you this morning, our greatest enemy is not external or internal. Our greatest enemy is eternal. You don't want to get God angry with you. We as a nation don't want God to get angry with us. 
because notice what the passage says. He said, return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine. The root your right hand has planted. The sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Now he's talking now about the judgment of God that comes to a nation that has forgotten him. Cut down, burned with fire, rebuked, and perish. You see, our greatest hope is God. But he's also our biggest threat. And in this nation, we have got to turn our hearts back to God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But I'm telling you, it's the responsibility of the church to rise up. Amen? Verse 17, he now tells us about the answer. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. Who is at the right hand of God? Jesus. We sang about him this morning. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? And this is a prophetic psalm about the coming of the Messiah. He prays and he says, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man that you have raised up for yourself. Listen, the answer for this nation is the same answer that it's always been. And the answer is Jesus. 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 He is the answer for this world today. And then notice what he said. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us. Oh, we need revival in our nation. We have had the breath knocked out of us. We have been laid waste. And we need God to breathe on us. We need the wind of the Holy Ghost to blow again in this nation and wake us up and revive us and raise us up in these last days. Revive us and we will call on your name. And then he ends as he began, Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Saved. So before we go today, four things that you can do and I can do practically. Number one, we got to look up. I hate to tell you this, Donald Trump is not the answer to the problems that we're facing in this nation because the problems we face in this nation are of a spiritual nature. That doesn't mean I don't like Donald Trump. It doesn't mean that I don't support our president. But I'm just telling you, best president I remember in my lifetime, Ronald Reagan, he wasn't the answer. Bill Clinton wasn't the answer. George Bush wasn't the answer. Barack Obama wasn't the answer. George Washington was not the answer. There is only one wise enough, only one strong enough, only one powerful enough, and it's God. We got to look up from whence comes our help. Amen. But not only look up, we got to confess up. We got to stop blaming somebody else. 
We've got to stop complaining and griping and grumbling regardless of who the leadership is in our nation. And what we need to do is we need to reflect inward into our own hearts and let God search our hearts and let God deal with us and some things that need to be dealt with in our own life and some things that need to be confessed in our own life. God himself said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Confess. Confess it. I know we don't like to admit that we might be part of the problem. But guess what? We might be part of the problem. Look up. Confess up. Thirdly, speak up. This is what the church needs to do right now because the strategy of the enemy has always been to try to silence people of God. But we need to speak up in the name of Jesus. And then finally, we need to stand up. And I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. We need to stand up for what is right. Listen, I know we believe in a separation of church and state. I believe in that. I support that. But never have we ever said that we believe in a separation of God and government. There's a difference. A big difference. And this nation, we need to turn back to God. You say, but pastor, we're so few compared to millions of people in our nation. We're so few. Well, I'm reminded of Jonathan when he looked at his armor bearer when they were going out to fight the Philistines. And there was only two of them, Jonathan and his armor bearer, and thousands of Philistines. And Jonathan evidently could tell by the look on his armor bearer's face that he might have been a little bit worried. So Jonathan looked at him, and here's what he said to him. I know that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, and that he can save by many or he can save by few. <laughs> I think of Elijah. You're going to have to just pardon me. Now I'm getting a preaching fit. I think of Elijah. The Bible said that he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would rain. And it rained after not raining for three and a half years. And here's what James says about Elijah as our example in prayer. He said the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Did you just hear what I said? Not men, not women. But the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You may be one in number, but one righteous man or one righteous woman, when they begin to cry out to God, can make a difference in this nation. Come on and let's give God praise. He is our help. He is our help. We call upon you today, Father God. Just as the psalmist did, we know that you are our hope, that you are our help. We do not trust in horses and chariots. Our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. Father, we pray that you would use us as few as we are that you would use us to be a voice, that you would use us to be an influence, that you would cause us to rise up, to speak up, to confess up, to stand up for what is right.
and to speak up. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we leave in the power and in the might of your spirit. We thank you for this nation. It is a great nation, and we want it to continue to be a great nation. But the only way it'll be a great nation is if it continues to be one nation under God, indivisible, with truth and justice for all. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Well, thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you as our guest here at Summerton Church of God. The Lord has given us a vision to transform our community, and we're going to do that by eliminating the darkness through being light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be who Jesus says we are. We worship together every Sunday at 1045, and we would love to have you and your family as our guest.